Amen. So good to be in the host of the Lord this morning, worship the Lord. We were praying for you this morning in early service prayer, just praying that God would just continue to just bring freedom, bring healing, bring wholeness, that uh, wherever you may be this morning, that you would just encounter the Holy Spirit in a fresh new way, and uh, so that you just realize the life that is in you by the Holy Spirit, the work He comes to do in us. You know, we were, um, uh, yesterday, a beautiful day. And uh, notice you're driving home that everybody taking advantage of the weather was out gardening or, or you know, at the plant stores doing all their landscaping, getting, a, getting ahead of things because it is the, you know, after the May long weekend, we have it in our mind that now is the time to begin to, uh, you know, plant and now's the time to get the yards ready. At least, we, you know, kind of have your fingers crossed. The last week wasn't great weather. But we recognize when we come into different seasons uh, that there's new things, there's new growth, there's uh, just things we have to get on top of because that season represents um, just something new. Even though it's every year, it's cyclical, we have four seasons, we just recognize this season, we recognize what comes with each season, and every time we enter into a new season, there's a new sense of expectation. And the Lord is very much that way as well. He's the one who made the seasons, He's the one who wants us to understand that as we find ourselves in a season, that there are some new things that he's ready to do again. There's new things he wants, there's, there's areas of our life that he wants to cultivate, there's new seed he wants to sow in our lives, there's new works that he wants us to believe in and grow in. Uh, maybe you've come through a winter, you know, spiritually speaking, of just kind of lethargy or not a lot of productivity or fruitfulness, and there's times when reading the winter season, that doesn't happen anyway. You know, it has its own purpose, its own season. But we come into the spring, and again, we have that new sense of expectation. Well, in the, in the Christian calendar, not just on our calendar in a liturgical sense, but because of Scripture and how it unfolds, uh, we are in a season in which we are moving toward what is called Pentecost. Uh, five weeks ago, we celebrated Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and all that reminds us of, of what Jesus did. But the reason we have these seasons and the reason we celebrate um, these times that tie very much into the Jewish calendar, and because on the Jewish calendar, there were a number of different feasts, but every single one of them spoke to a certain aspect of God's redemptive work in, uh, among mankind. And redemptive has to do with just simply God working a plan by which he can bring us back to himself. And so we came through Easter and, and through the whole weekend of, of Good Friday, Christ dying on the cross and being buried and raised from the dead. And we moved through that season reminding ourselves what that means to us today. And so as we move toward Pentecost Sunday, I want to remind us this morning, I want to, as we move over these next few weeks toward Pentecost Sunday, that the Lord very deliberately puts these seasons in place so that we will stop and ask ourselves whether or not these seasons that we are presently in, whether the realities are present in our lives. So Pentecost Sunday, for example, is not just something we move toward, oh, it's Pentecost Sunday. It's a time that we begin to move toward, and just like we do at Christmas during the Advent season or Easter, uh, the Lenten season, the purpose is for us to have a time of, of, of uh, self-examination to say, Lord, the redemptive work that you accomplished that correlates with this feast, is that a reality in my life today? And so as we move toward Pentecost, I want to ask us to ask ourselves, Lord, the whole dynamic of what Pentecost is and the person of the Holy Spirit and his ministry in and through my life, is it a present reality? 
And if it's not a reality, then it's a wonderful time to stop and to come before the Lord and to open our hearts and say, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you show me maybe where I've become lethargic or where I've become unbelieving or some area where in any way that I've, I've said, okay, Lord, you can come this close, but no closer, whatever it is. Lord, I pray that you would help me to understand truly what Pentecost is, who the Holy Spirit is, so you can have the fullness of what it means expressed in and through my life. Does that make sense? So this is the time of year uh, that it, we should do it all year, of course. We're called to be ongoingly filled with the Holy Spirit, but this is a time of year in particular that it's good for us just to stop and to take, uh, you know, reflect and to ask the Holy Spirit to show us areas where maybe uh, His intentions are being less than fulfilled in our lives. Now, in God's Word, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, verse uh, 13, the Scripture tells us that when we open our hearts to God, when we come to Jesus Christ, we ask Him to come into our lives to wash us clean of our sin, that we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We become the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And when He comes into our lives, He comes in His fullness. He doesn't come in parts, does He? He doesn't come in portions. He comes in all He is, all He will ever be. And if that is true, which I believe it is, then we don't need more of God. That's not the issue in our lives today. We don't need the more, more of God. Everything He is, He comes to us as that person at the moment of salvation. So the issue is never whether or not we get more of God, right? It's whether or not we allow God to what? Get more of us. That's what it's about. Will I surrender to His presence because He has come to make His home in me, but will I surrender to that and allow Him to begin to shape me and live His life through me, or will I continue to keep control of my life except in those times when I need His help? You see, as people of the Spirit, as people in whom the Holy Spirit lives, our goal is not to get the Holy Spirit. I say this in all reverence. But our goal is not to obtain more of the Holy Spirit. Our goal is to befriend the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Our goal is to get to know Him because everything about the Christian life hinges on my interaction with the Holy Spirit. You see, as I give myself to this friendship with the Holy Spirit, that's when everything changes. That's when everything progressively becomes the way it should be. In John 14, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and it's only hours before he is going to go to the cross and die and then raise again, only a matter of hours. And so in this few hours he has left with his disciples, he has a conversation with them, and the message he wants to communicate very simply is this, I am going away, but don't be afraid, because I am sending someone to you. And he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father, and He will give you what? Another helper to be with you forever. The word Allah, the word another rather in, in the Greek language is Allah. And it doesn't mean, because you can read that and think, okay, it just means He's sending somebody else. You know, when we think of another person, we think, well, it's another person. They're a human being, but they're different. In the Greek language, it's the word Allah, and it simply means this. One more in addition to or more of the same kind. So in other words, what Jesus was saying is this, I'm going to leave you physically, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send another, what? I'm going to send another me. 
one who is exactly like me, and he will be with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Why? Because he dwells with you, and Jesus speaking future, in a matter of time after his resurrection and Pentecost, he will be in you. Okay, you know him, he dwells with you, you've seen him at work in your life and ministry, and he's going to be in you after the cross. Now, notice the Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. Never, ever, ever is he an it, and that's very important, because if you do not see the Holy Spirit as a person, you will never come to understand that you can have a relationship with him. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's not an it. He's not even a feeling. That's not what he is. The reason that you feel him is why? Because he's the person. That's why you feel his presence. He is the third person of the Trinity. That simply means that he's one of three. They're all equal. He's not just the last one. He's not the insignificant one. He's the third person of the Trinity. Jesus goes on to say in verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you or bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then in chapter 15, but when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Again, chapter 16, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. In other words, guys, I know this is going to be really, really difficult for you to believe right now, but I'm telling you the truth, and here's the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not or cannot come to you. But if I go, I will what? I will send him to you. And then verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but it's more than you can grasp at this moment. Now think about this. Jesus is leaving the disciples in a matter of hours. After all their fumblings, all their failures, Jesus is still leaving. You can imagine the disciples, they have this great work to do, what they've been partnering with Jesus for all this time, and he's leaving, and what are they thinking? Oh no, we are totally unqualified. Why is he going now? And then on top of that, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go. And the disciples must be thinking, Lord, no, you don't understand. No, no, you must be thinking, you know, that we're more than we are because, you know, you've seen us in action. You've seen us fight. You've seen us, you know, all that stuff. What do you mean is to our advantage? And he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, that word truth is very important because it doesn't mean doctrine. And by the way, doctrine is not a bad thing. Doctrine keeps you from error. We've often said it here. Denominations are not a bad thing. Denomination has to do with identifying what you believe, what you contend for in the faith. What is bad is denominationalism. There's a whole lot of difference. Denominations aren't bad, but denominationalism is what divides the body of Christ. And so the Lord wants us to understand that the truth he's talking about is not doctrine. The word means reality. And what he's saying is this. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth I've been sharing with you so you can apply it to what matters most in your life. He's not going to come just to give you some superficial knowledge of spiritual things. That's not his ministry. That's not what he comes to do. He wants to show you the reality 
of what you believe. He wants you to walk in it. He wants you to understand it. He wants you to contend for it. He wants you to, to fight in it. He wants you to understand the reality of the truth I've come to share. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And that, by the way, pretty much settles the argument that the Holy Spirit still speaks today. It should not be a foreign thing for us to know that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We can hear his voice, and not only hear his voice, but we can also be a mouthpiece for him. He can speak through us one to another in the gifts of the Spirit. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. We'll elaborate more on that in just a few moments. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. And there's really a rather beautiful picture there of the Holy Spirit's ministry in that. What Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit will, will plant in you what he receives from me, and then he will go about the work of making what he has planted in you come to fruition in your life. That's what his work is about in you. Now, as many of us know, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. The Greek word for helper is the word parakletos. Parakletos, compound word. Para means alongside. Kletos means what? To come. Okay, I have that up there. That wasn't too hard. You could have got that one. Parakletos, okay, to come alongside. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. We, we have that prefix para in a lot of our English words. For example, the word parable. It's, it's the compound word parabole. Para means alongside. Bole means to throw. So to tell a parable, it means to take a story and to throw a story alongside a profound truth that you want to illustrate, right? We do that all the time. We give illustrations. Oh, this is what this means. And we tell a story. That's what a parable is. So again, parabole, para means alongside. The Greek word parakletos can also be translated defense attorney or one called to stand next to you as a helper. In English, we use the word paralegal, right? Para, alongside, someone with legal expertise or knowledge comes alongside to help you in legal matters. Now, there are different Bible translations that have also translated this word as counselor, parakletos, the Holy Spirit, as comforter, advocate, encourager, intercessor, and helper. But what I believe is that all of these words by themselves, they fall short in describing what this word really means. I really believe that one of the best definitions of the word parakletos is in Paul's reference to the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, when he refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. And who is Christ? Our Savior. You might even say that in the same sense, the Holy Spirit is our Savior. Not in the sense of dying on the cross for us as Jesus did, but in the sense that he continues the work that Jesus did in our lives. He saves us from ourselves. He protects us from the enemy. He heals us. He makes us whole. He continues that work. Now, most of us know that in Jesus' day, that Jesus and the people of Judea, they actually spoke a language called Aramaic. So most of Jesus' sayings in the Gospels were translations from Aramaic. And the Aramaic word for helper is similar to Pericletos. It's paraklita. Paraklita, which is taken from two words, prak, which means to finish or to save, and lita, which means the curse. To finish or to save and the curse. What does that mean? 
Again, it's a beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit, he comes to end the work of the curse in our lives. That's why he comes. He comes to break that off once and for all and to help us to understand that the victory has been won, as we heard this morning, so that we can get on to living the life of freedom for which Christ has set us free. And we can really begin to do some work to the, of damage to the works of the enemy in our lives, in the lives of people around us. We're going to talk more about that on Pentecost Sunday. I'm really looking forward to that. But the Holy Spirit comes to show us who we are and to end the destructive works of sin and the curse of sin that wants to lay hold of our lives again. We are to stand free in the freedom for which we've been made free and not become entangled again. That's what Paul says to Galatians. Paraklita means a helper who ends the curse. A helper who ends the curse. Now, I want to highlight three ways that the Holy Spirit helps us. I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, he's just starting three points. They're quick. But I want to talk about three ways that he helps us. I read your mind, didn't I? I've been in church for a while. But these three ways also speak to what I think we have commonly misunderstood. Misunderstood about the Holy Spirit, misunderstood about his work in our lives. And it's summed up in these verses. Jesus said in John 16 and 8, that when he, the Holy Spirit, comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of what three things? Of sin and righteousness and judgment. And at first glance, that sounds like a negative thing, doesn't it? It sounds like the Holy Spirit basically is coming to criticize us. He's coming to convict us of our sin, of our unrighteousness, and of judgment that is coming. But it's not a negative thing, as we'll see in a moment, because of the use of a word, a conjunction, the simple word, because. Let me explain. Verse 9. The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Now, Jesus said elsewhere that no one can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws them, right? Is it a good thing or a negative thing to come into relationship with God our Father? Okay, not a tough question. Great thing. Good thing, okay? He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe. Now, why does the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin? Because if we never see our sin, if we never see that we are separated from God because of our sin and we are lost, what won't happen? We will never seek a Savior, right? We'll never realize our need for the Savior. We'll never come to the Lord Jesus Christ until it's too late. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our lost condition because he loves us. And he does not want to spend eternity separated from us. The Holy Spirit works in your life to lead you to Jesus. And that's not a negative thing. In fact, after you come to Jesus, because the Holy Spirit lives within you, he will continue to shed his light upon your life and show you things that are keeping you from God. Not because God the Father doesn't want to have a relationship with you, but because when there's willful sin in our life, when we live life on our own terms, what do we tend to do? We tend to have shame. We tend to have condemnation or self-condemnation, and we don't turn to God. And the Holy Spirit says, let me get that stuff out of your life so that you can come full face before your Father, and you can love Him and worship Him. That's part of His ministry to us. A second thing the Holy Spirit does, Jesus said in verse 10, He says, He will convict the world concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me that is physically no longer. So we know that Jesus paid for our sin when he died on the cross in our place. 
He was laid in the tomb for three days. After three days, he was raised from the dead. Why? As evidence to everybody that his offering has been accepted by the Father. And now Jesus continues to minister on our behalf as he sits at the right hand of the Father, not to have to convince the Father of anything, to do anything good for us. It was the Father who sent his Son to us because the Father so loved the world that he gave his Son. But Jesus is seated by the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. In other words, his ministry continues to be to bring you and the Father together. That's why Jesus came, right? To show us the Father. Jesus said the Holy Spirit convicts you of righteousness. Please hear me. Righteousness is not just living right. If you are righteous, you will live right. I've often heard, the defini- or heard years ago the definition of the distinction between holiness and of, of righteousness. Holiness is, is the fire of God that consumes you. Righteousness is the heat that comes from that, from that relationship with the Father. But righteousness is not just about living right. You will live right if you're righteous. Righteousness at its core is about this, your right standing before the Father. That's what it's all about. You see, the enemy wants to make you think that Christianity, it's all about the things you can't do. It's all about the stuff that now you have to do. You've got to live a prudish life. Friend, there's no more fun life to live than knowing Jesus and living for him. Than being free, that's what it's all about. And so righteousness is not about the stuff you have to do. It's about the fact that you are now clean before your heavenly Father. And it's out of that freedom and no shame and no condemnation and the confidence that comes by knowing that you are now rightly related to God, it's out of that that you joyfully live free. You just want to stay free because you've been set free. You don't want to go back to the old bondages and the things that rob you of life. By the way, the word convict is simply to convince. Right? If you have a conviction about something, what does it mean? It means that you are convinced about that. And so the Holy Spirit wants to convince you that because you have placed your trust in Jesus, that you are now in right standing with the Father. And that's a very positive thing. So the Holy Spirit comes to you to convince you of your sin, so you'll receive the Savior. And once you trust in Jesus, he convinces you that you can now live life with confidence and security in your relationship with God, your Heavenly Father. And then we come to verse 11, and this is when I find that oftentimes trips up believers. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit convinces us concerning judgment. Hear me, saints. He's not talking about your judgment. What judgment is it? Because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, the moment Jesus said that, the ruler of this world was still the devil. Now, things changed through what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but at that time, it was still the devil until Jesus went to the cross and rose from the dead. And we know that because Jesus said in John chapter 12, now is the judgment of this world. What is the world? By the way, my friends, people are not the world. The world is the system, the spiritual system like a puppeteer that manipulates our culture, and we see it today. We see things that to any sensible, enlightened person are obviously wrong totally embraced by our culture, and things that are obviously good being mocked and shunned by our culture. What is that? Mean people, evil people? No. Our fight is not against people. It's the spirit realm. The world Jesus talked about that the enemy has power over, it's that system that is headed by Satan and leaves God out. That's what it means by the world. Jesus says, now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. That is so profound. 
If we really understand that he has been cast out. And then in John 14, Jesus said, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. What does he mean? He's already here. It means the fight is on. It means not too long after I talk with you, the battle is going to happen. The enemy is coming, and he thinks he's going to destroy me. He thinks he's going to end it all by putting me on the cross, and it's going to be done with it. He has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. He has no power in me. He has no power over me. He doesn't even have a clue what I'm going to do. And he says it's all going to be happening in a short time. So basically, Jesus is telling his followers that he's about to dethrone Satan and take away his authority. And the Bible tells us this in Colossians, that through the work on his cross, will you read the scripture with me? Colossians 2.15, Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. That is what Jesus has done. In Matthew 28, you may remember, Jesus goes a step further and he says that all the authority that he has obtained through the cross, what does he say? Now I give you that authority. What does he mean? Now you have the power to enforce the victory of the cross upon those dethroned powers of darkness. You see, when Jesus made an open spectacle of the powers of darkness through his cross, it wasn't just what he did 2,000 years ago. Jesus says, and I will continue to make an open spectacle of him. I will continue to embarrass him. I will continue to overthrow him. I will continue through my people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and his power and life is lived through them everywhere they go. I will continue to show the world that where the devil thinks he has you, where he, you think it's over, where you think nothing can change, I will show you through my people by the power of my spirit. I will continue to embarrass the enemy. I will continue to embarrass him. And I will do it through my people who understand who they are and what the Holy Spirit has come to do. When Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, how have we typically interpreted that? We've typically looked at it as if Jesus was saying this, the Holy Spirit is going to come to convince you you're a sinner, to convince you that you're not living right, and to convince you that God's going to get you on judgment day. That's kind of how we interpret it. But that's not at all what Jesus said. It's not what he meant. He says the Holy Spirit has come to convince you of your need for a Savior. And once you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit will then come and fill you with the confidence that you are a child of your Heavenly Father who loves you. And once that really begins to sink in, you begin to understand that all of Satan's power that he once had over your life, it is stripped away. And there is nothing that he has to accuse you of anymore. That's why the Holy Spirit has come. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to convince you of. And friends, hear me this morning. I include myself in this. We need to become convinced again of why the Holy Spirit has come. We need to be convinced again of what it means for the Holy Spirit to live in our lives. We need to be convinced again of what it means to the people of God, as Hebrews says, that we can come boldly into the throne room of God to find help in time of need. We need to understand who we are in Christ, what He has done for us, who the devil is. He has no power over us, and all of His lies are just lies. They're fabrications that He creates in your mind and your imagination to convince you that you are not who you are. 
and that you can't be what you've been made to be and set free to be and that God could never do through you all that he wants to do through you. Every time you come across a need and you just feel like, oh, I should do something, but I'm not qualified. Oh, I should say that, but I don't know. You know, whatever it may be, friends, we just need to get a hold of ourselves and realize that's not God. That's a spirit of fear. That's not the Holy Spirit who lives within me. The reason I feel frustration in not stepping out, not praying for somebody, not sharing with somebody, not speaking that word, the reason I feel the frustration is because the Spirit who lives in me is ready to do it. He's ready to do it. But fear comes to our minds. We believe the enemy's lies and we don't step out and the Holy Spirit is grieved, not in a condemnation way, but his heart braces. Oh, I just wanted to touch that person. I just wanted to make an open spectacle of the enemy. I wanted to show you how powerful I really am. My love is the gift star. I wanted to do that through you. I wanted you to share in this and you missed an opportunity. It's not condemnation. It's just that sense of, oh, if, oh, if you only had, if you only had. He wants to work in and through our lives. You know, one of the saddest things in the church today is a number of Christians who really don't want much to do with the Holy Spirit, except for maybe some limited or controlled situations where they really need him. But why in the world would we not want to bother with somebody who's just like Jesus? Why would we not want to just fully open our lives to him as we would to Jesus at salvation? And I really believe it's because so many people in the body of Christ have become convinced that the Holy Spirit and that people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they're weird. Anybody agree? I thought that when I first came to Pentecostal circles. These folks are weird. But you know what? That's what made me come back. Because I want to let you know the secret this morning, friends. And you can quote me on this because it's going to be on camera anyway. The Holy Spirit is weird. No, He is. He is weird. And the reason I say that is because according to the, uh, the, the dictionary definition, literally, this is what weird means, involving or suggesting the supernatural, unearthly or uncanny, beyond the ordinary. Now, to think about it for a minute, when we use the word weird, we don't usually use it in a derogatory sense. We just say, oh, that was weird. In other words, that's something I don't quite understand, right? Or didn't expect that to happen. That was weird. So... People have this idea, though, in some bad way that the Holy Spirit is weird. Well, by this definition, the Holy Spirit is weird. He's unearthly. He's supernatural. He's beyond the ordinary. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who will prompt you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. Oh, I feel like I should do, but it's kind of weird. It's kind of out of my comfort. Well, you see, if God lives in you, if he's going to live through you, he's going to be doing some stuff you normally wouldn't do. But he's always, going, he's always going to do it for the right reason, right? And he's going to say things to you or ask you to say things that you normally wouldn't say. But when you step out and you say it, you realize, wow, God was in that. Somebody will say, how did you know that? I don't know. I just felt God prompt me. The Holy Spirit will give you boldness to stand when, when otherwise you'd want to sit back. He'll give you faith to believe when otherwise you would doubt. He gives you grace to love and forgive when normally you'd just be angry and bitter. You see, he's weird. People look at you and they say, how can you forgive that person? You're weird. You're not ordinary. You're not like us. No, I hope not because the Holy Spirit lives in me. I shouldn't be like you. Again, I'm not better than you, but I'm what? I'm better off. That's what it means. I'm not better than you, but I'm better off because the Holy Spirit lives in me. I do some what you might consider weird things. You see, I think the truth is that many people resist the Holy Spirit because we want to control him. 
After all, we, kinda, we believe the lie of the enemy. If the Holy Spirit's kind of weird and he lives in me, then he's going to make me weird. And nobody wants that, right? No, I do. Yeah, I do. I want to be weird. The Holy Spirit is weird in a good way, but he's not wild. There's a difference. The Holy Spirit's weird, but he's not crazy. He's weird, but he's not foolish. Hear me, saints. He's not trying to embarrass you. He's trying to embolden you. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to make you understand the authority and the power that you have. If we could just get over our need to control every detail of our lives, we would discover that the Holy Spirit has so much that he wants to teach us, so many ways he wants to use us, and so many ways he wants to lead us into very fulfilling lives. But those fulfilling lives oftentimes will mean stepping outside of the ordinary. Now, don't raise your hands for this one, because it's not good if you do. But how many would say, you know what, I'm just content with coming to church on Sunday. I warned you, don't raise your hand, okay? You shouldn't be. None of us should be. I, if that's all there was involved in the Christian life, I wouldn't be here. I don't mean just as a pastor, I wouldn't go to church. If that's all there was, we know there's so much more to being led by the Spirit or the Holy Spirit living in us than just putting in an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. The reality is none of us are very successful at living lives on our own terms. It's only when we're spirit-led that we truly begin to live in a way that we know we're made for. And I know for those of us who've been in church service a long time, some of us have seen some foolish things done, and the Holy Spirit gets blamed for it. But I'd never let any of those things get in the way of my friendship with the Holy Spirit and of stepping out into the things that the Holy Spirit's calling me to do. People can do crazy, a lot of crazy stuff in the world. What do you do? You just look at it and say, that's crazy. You don't blame anybody else and say, hey, they're kind of crazy. doesn't mean you stop doing things. And the same with the Holy Spirit. I want to close with this scripture from 1 Corinthians 2. Will you read it with me? We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's why the Holy Spirit has come. We don't have the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is the system headed by Satan that leaves God out. The spirit of this world is the spirit in our culture today that has everything turned upside down. You want to have happiness, you want fulfillment, then live for yourself, no boundaries, no whatever the case may be, do your own thing, right? It always leads to destruction and emptiness. We don't have that spirit. We have the spirit of God. The spirit of God lives within us, and he says, you know what? You know Jesus. I said, oh, yes, I do. And you know what? Because you know Jesus, now you have righteous standing before the Father. You can come before him boldly with no condemnation, no hesitation, no shame. Amen. That's right. And because you have that confidence, go after the devil. Go after him in your life. Go after him in your marriage. Go after him in your home. Go after him in your workplace. Go after him in the neighborhood. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses to the resurrected Christ. If the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken you. He will make you come alive, and everywhere you go, life will flow from you. Everywhere you go. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what he wants to do in our life. Isn't it fun? that we get to get in on 
the action with Jesus. Every single day, everywhere we go as the Spirit leads, we get to make a public spectacle of the enemy. We get to talk to people who think there's no hope and see the Lord just break into their lives and bring hope and joy. We get to see people who have broken bodies who think that's just my lot in life and pray for them and see God heal them. We just get to get into all this stuff where the devil has people convinced your marriage is over, your life is over, nothing's going to change, nothing's going to be new. And we get to see Jesus change lives one by one by one by one. And what is he doing? Through his people, he continues to make an open spectacle of the works of darkness and remind him and let people know around him that he has been defeated. And that's why he's come to dwell within us. In fact, Paul says in Romans, as many who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. You want to know who the children of God is? Look around. Who's being led by the Spirit? And I want to encourage us this morning that we would not leave this place until we've made that fresh commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit to be who he has come to be in our life. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? What is he saying to you? Would you just bow your head for a moment, close your eyes, just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit for just a moment before we leave. I want to ask you this. Number one, do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? I love Jesus. But it's not just about Jesus. All that Jesus has done is to bring me to the Father. And he has now sent the Holy Spirit to continue that work in my life. But do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Have you thought about him as something that you get rather than someone that you know and you befriend? And have you resisted his promptings? Because they make you uncomfortable. When he says, if you just learn to obey my prompting, if you just learn to obey my prompting, you'll begin to experience life out of the ordinary. You'll be experience a freshness and a newness. You'll experience the real joy of your salvation. Would you remain bowed just for a moment? The Holy Spirit is here, as I said at the very beginning, to bring you to Jesus. And I want to ask you this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. If you don't know Jesus, you know you don't. I don't have to convince you. There was a time I didn't know Jesus, and I just surrendered my life when I, when I came into contact with him. And you've come in contact with him this morning. And I want to ask you very simply and very quickly, if you're here today, and you do not know Jesus, and you say, I feel the Holy Spirit calling me to him, I want to ask you just to raise your hand. Is there anyone here this morning? Just raise it and keep it up for a moment until I see you, or just look at me and say, yes, Pastor, that's me. I don't know Jesus, but I feel the Holy Spirit. I know he's here, and I feel him drawing me. Is there anyone at all? We don't want to just skip through the service without giving you that opportunity. Amen. The Lord bless you. Saints, I want to talk to you very quickly. We're going to close in a song, but I want to invite you this morning to take some time around the altar, take some time before the Lord, and do some business with the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit have his way this morning. Do you really understand who you are before the Father? Do you really understand your right standing before the Father? Is the Holy Spirit allowed to have his way this morning? Or are you just listening to the devil and saying, I know, but that's for somebody else. I know I've tried before, but it doesn't work. That's for somebody else. That is the lie. It's a lie from the enemy. He wants you to understand that the devil has been judged by Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit who dwells in you has power over him. And that includes over every lie he's speaking to your mind right now. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that doesn't just mean upbeat music. It means you're free. Every area of your life, he sheds his light and he shows you, not to condemn you, but to say, hey, this is tripping you up. Let's deal with this now. Why? Because I love you and I want you to be free. I want you to have joy. I want joy to be your strength. 
Let's stand together. I want to invite you this morning. We still have time. I want to invite you this morning as we sing, just to come. Would you come this morning? Would you just lift your hands before the Lord? And would you say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of the song says, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my life. Touch me afresh. Be my friend. I've never known you as my friend. I want that intimacy. I want to know you. I want to befriend you, Holy Spirit. I don't want you to just be a thing that I get or I feel. I want to know you. And I want you to be flowing in and through my life. Come and overflow me. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord wants to fill you. He wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire this morning. He wants to so convince you of His love and of His presence and of the supernatural. He doesn't want you serving Him with your head. He wants you to overflow your innermost being, your heart, with His presence that nobody can convince you that He's not real and that He doesn't love you. He wants you to live in that love and identify every lie of the enemy. I want you to come here to the altar. And I'm going to shut up. I need to so you, so you can just come. But I, but I want you to come, and I want you to fight for your marriage. I want you to fight for that spouse. I want you to fight for your kids. I want to invite you to come and just say, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill this area of my life again, to believe again. Areas where the enemy has had his way. No more. It stops here. It stops here. You live within me. Greater is he that is in me than he that comes against me. I want to begin to believe again. I want to begin to believe. We're going to worship the Lord. The altar is open. Whatever you're going to contend with, I want to invite you to come and do business with God and say, Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come in fire. Come in fire. Consume me. Get me back on track. I've wasted too much time. Too much time. I want to redeem the time that I have right now because the days we live in are evil. But we've been called to be a light to this evil world. Amen. We have been called. And if you're anywhere less than this, we have been called to be a people through whom Jesus Christ continues to mock the enemy and show him weak because of his power and presence in and through our lives. And I say, Jesus, have all of me to do that. I'm in. How many are in? Amen? I'm in. Amen. Let's just turn this sanctuary into a place of surrender to the Holy Spirit this morning and allow him to fill you and refresh you. In Jesus' name, the Lord bless you. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you. We welcome your Holy Spirit.